God bless you. Thank you for a wonderful song. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verses 3 through 9. We're going to be looking at two different points to today's message. That's found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark. Go big or go home. How many of you have heard that phrase before? I know many of us can say we've heard that phrase. And, you know, it's funny. I got on the the Internet and I thought, you know, I'm just going to see what they have about go big or go home. And so everything was extreme. So I thought, you know, it'd be kind of neat to have a message about go big or go home and do something different. And uh, and so I started off this morning saying I'm going to wear something different for our guests that are here today. I normally don't dress like that. And it worked because most of you walked up to me and said, Pastor, is there a reason why you have jeans on? You have a hoodie on on a Sunday morning. Are you kidding me? And uh, yet when I look around, we have everybody dressed up and you've come. We just want church to be a place where they can, people can come to. Amen. And yet I know as a little boy. I was always raised to wear a suit and a tie. And so it's very easy for me just to get up. I love putting on a tie. I love getting ready for church. I tell my daughters, you're not wearing that to church. You're going to dress up. And I always love it because they're girls. And, you know, we don't come from a church where women have to wear dresses. But, you know, we're always like, girls, today's not the day to just wear jeans or or what have you. It's a day to, to look your best, feel your best. And we're going to the house of God and let's look our best for him. Amazing. We'll go to a wedding. We'll go to some Christmas Eve event. event. We'll pay even $250 a ticket and even rent a tux. But yet we don't look our best for the Lord. We come here and we give him our leftovers. And so I said, well, we have to have a, we have to have a service where we have to talk about go big or go home. So today we're going to talk about two different things. Traditionalism in the church and commitment to God. And so often... We are so confused about traditionalism. The church is supposed to look this way. It's supposed to act this way. It's supposed to be this way. And you have all these expectations of what you think it's supposed to look like. And when you walk in, if it doesn't have your feel, your flavor, your savor, whatever it is, you've already crossed it off your list. The most important part is that we come to church to make sure that the Word of God is opened up. And so we have forgotten that. I know that as I journey through every week, I have a million stories I could probably share with you because I'm out with people and I love being amongst people. But many of us can say that churches today have in a lot of ways lost their focus. And yet some churches have gone to the far extreme where others have stayed with traditionalism. And so many people don't want to change out of being traditional and go to another area of their life. Now listen, our church is a reflection of us. We're the church on the gorge. We started the church nine years ago. This is a reflection of us. And so I love it that we get to come to church and it is a reflection of us. But yet we're so quick to criticize. We're so quick to put somebody down or put down a ministry Or, you know, did you look at the girls doing the sign language? Did you look at their heart? Did you understand that some of these kids put together, and I think Jacob was up here as well. Is he up here as well? No, he's not even here. And uh, 
I, I knew that he knew how to do it. But we'll put such an emphasis on looking at other things instead of the message behind the song. I Get On My Knees is one of my favorite songs by Jackie Velasquez. Is that how you say her name? And uh, I love that song. And I remember back in the 90s when that came out. I believe it was the 90s. And just how it ministered to me because it isn't about anything. All it's about is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I have to say that I love being committed to God. And so this morning, we can say that we've all heard this phrase since childhood, go big or go home. But what if you use that in the church? So many in our secular circles use it in their area of reference. Like I said earlier, you see it on YouTube and they're doing all this extreme stuff because they're going big. But we can't say it or live it out in our Christian life. Well, I want you to say this with me. Go big or go home. Let's say that together. Go big or go home. There you go. Isn't it just great? I could preach a message to stop on. Let's go big. Let's just go crazy for Jesus. And me? I can't do that. Go crazy for Jesus. I can't do that. Listen, what do I mean, though, when I say go big, church, or go home? We must get out of our traditional obligation to develop a realistic commitment. Mark chapter 7, verses 3 through 9. Let's read together. I'll be reading out of the King James Version. If you have another version, that's fine. But it says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands, oft eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders? But eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, and we could say maybe in your interpretation it says pretenders, as it is written, this people honoreth me, with their lips, but their heart is far from me. If you look back to verses 1, it says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Now, right here we see there's a traditional obligation. Number two, if you would please turn in your Bible over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. And now we're going to see the commitment. I'm going to go forward a little bit. Then I'm going to back up the car a little bit. And we're going to tie all of this together. And what I mean and what I'm trying to express this morning about go big or go home. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. Here's discipleship. Here's outreach. Here's truly what the Bible has to say. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself... And do what? Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man, what is it an advantage to him, or what does it benefit him, if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father 
and of the holy angels. What do I mean when I say go? Go with traditionalism or go home? I need some cheerleaders up here. No, just kidding. H is for honor him. O means obey his commands. Obey his commandments. M means magnify him. And then E, become effective in this world. We find in these scriptures that it was a time that the Jews and the Pharisees had come to regard certain traditions to be as equal in authority to the Old Testament itself. They had become so wrapped up in being ritually righteous and ceremonially clean that they failed to understand that or realize that all they had was a form of what they thought to be godliness and denied the power thereof. They began to question Jesus on his disciples, why his disciples did not hold to the traditions of the elders and eat without washing their hands, as well as work on the Sabbath. Turn with me, if you would, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 5, 5 through 7. It says here, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus begins to answer them and he begins to explain that they only honor him with what? With their lips. That their hearts are as far away from him. He says to them that they are just like hypocrites. So what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is a person who pretends to be what he or she is not. One that pretends to be better than they really are. Or they claim to be pious virtuous, holy, and righteous without being so. Back in history, a hypocrite would be an actor that behind a mask, their true identity was not known. You see, these people were hiding behind the mask of what? Traditionalism. Acting as though they were holy and righteous, offering up lip services, but their hearts was far from the truth. They had a form of godliness. They appeared to be holy on the outside. They knew the law, but on the inside, which what truly matters, they were undevoted, unaffectionate, unreal, and just downright fake. They had become so ritually righteous and traditionally obligated that they failed to realize truly what their commitment was. So we look over to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. You know, and as you turn there, I'm going to talk about prayer and what a hypocrite is. And, um, and I have to tell you that as I, as I was looking at the scripture, I remember as a little boy, there is nothing more intimidating than getting in front of people and praying. Our Father, which art in heaven. I'm thinking to myself, I'm 12 years old, and I'm going to have to pray in front of this whole congregation someday. I'm going to throw up. And I'll never forget that moment in time. I sat right down here where Ron and Tracy's at. 
Actually, I was in Tiffany's spot. My mom always sat right there. So, Mom, you have to move up a seat here. But anyhow, <laughs> and he said, Todd, could you dismiss us in prayer? <laughs> prayer? Me? In front of all these people? Okay, here goes. Our Heavenly Father. I thought, how am I going to ever do this? How am I going to pray and sound like the pastor? How am I going to pray and sound like the deacons and the trustees and all of the other pillars of the assemble? Dear Jesus, lead us home safely. Amen. Okay, that was over. That's my first prayer, and I was so thankful that it went quick. There wasn't a bunch of these thou's and hast nots and shall not and shall was. I was over it. I was scared to death. You know, but so many of the Pharisees, they wanted to look important. They wanted to feel important. They wanted people to see them. What's it say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5? Matthew 6, verse 5 says this, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Really, I say to you, they have their reward. Their reward is so immediate, temporal. Today we have people that have a form of godliness in the church. They have become so traditionally obligated to church, but have failed to develop a realistic commitment to God. They are hiding behind a mask of ritualism, but their hearts are undevoted. They're unreal, and they're fake. And it saddens me. I, I've done so much in this church to please people. I'm confessing my faults before all of you today. I have done so much because of traditionalism that I thought, you know what, I can't do what this other church does because, you know, this is the vision for our church and we started on a deck and here we are on Riverside Drive. Praise God, he's blessed. But I often think to myself, you know, I, I can't get in the pulpit. I remember a man writing us a letter about five years ago. Could you turn the fans on for me, please? That if there was a man who wrote a letter and he said this, Do you know that you are too dressed up for Sunday morning? You need to dress down and be like common folk. I thought to myself, self, did I tell him how to dress? I never said one time, will you wear a t-shirt and jeans to church? Why are you telling me how to dress? Let me ask you a question. Was that his personal preference? Was that his opinion? Sure it was, right? But we're so much like him. We're like the Pharisees. Well, if he don't treat me the right way, if she doesn't treat me the right way, I'm out of there. That church will just go down like the Titanic because we're scorekeepers. That's a Pharisee. I have been to the place where it was very difficult for me for a long time to say, I don't have a piano. You know, when Darlene would play, I'm like, you know, we need to have a piano, we need to have an organ, we need to do this, we need to do that. And, and I was a praise and worship leader and, and associate pastor, youth pastor for, what, 17 years. And I used to think to myself, how are we going to do this? Are people going to accept contemporary music in the service? You know, there's nothing that's, that's greater than because he lives I can face tomorrow. You know, the Rambos, Bill and Gloria Gaither, they did a great job to, to incorporate that kind of music you know, for, for a bunch of Christians. And as we all know, and you can see it all over, Bill Gaither's probably the top paying, he's a multi-millionaire if he's not a billionaire, for all that he's done, you know, on all of these homecoming things we all love and we, we appreciate. 
But yet, here's the question I want to ask you. Are we reaching people today where they're at? The question is again, are we reaching people where they're at? Are we meeting the needs? Are we as a body of believers meeting their needs in a personal way, in a spiritual way? Are we helping as a church in a financial way? Are we doing what we're supposed to do? Or are we so caught up in what the church is to look like that we have forgotten our commitment to Christ? Let me pray. Father, bless this message this morning. May we learn from it. And Father, I pray that you'll hide me behind the cross. Lord, thank you for your word. Encourage us. Lord, may the word not come back void. May it prosper thereto, which you've sent it out. Thank you, Father. May all of us honor you, obey your commandments, magnify you, and become effective in this world where people need Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your word. Bless it this morning. Amen. I love what it says here. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, here's what he says. If any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross represents commitment. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, he sacrificed his life for who? For you and for me. If we look at a sacrifice, it was what? It was a total commitment. It wasn't partial commitment. Jesus didn't say, just put a nail in this part of my hand and in this foot, and I'm just going to hang out over here. No, it was a total commitment, total sacrifice. He gave his all for us. Even in the Old Testament, they didn't go in when they sacrificed animals and said, oh, today I love my calf. I'm just going to take off his leg and sacrifice it. They sacrificed all of it, the very thing that they loved. A sacrifice is the surrender or destruction of something valued for the sake of something else. When the Bible says, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, this means give up yourself totally and take up your cross. This is a realistic and totally committed commitment. Not just a form, not just lip service, but a totally and 100% commitment to do what? To follow Him. I, I think of a cross, and I meant to bring it out here. Have you guys ever picked up that cross we have here? How many of you men have ever just tried to move it? Women, anybody, just if it was up here. That thing is so heavy that I've often thought that when I think of take up his cross, take up the cross, I think of, and I just have to say, that little Ezra, he is one good-looking little guy. He is a beautiful baby. And he's a good, if any of you have seen this little guy, I know your guest, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but he can smile. He reminds me of Tori. Tori used to smile so big, he smiles and his whole face just glows. What a good-looking little guy. Now back to the message. That was an advertisement. I have four daughters. I don't have a little boy, so he's a good-looking little guy. But anyhow, when, we, when you have a cross, think about it. When you're carrying that cross, it is burdensome. It's, heavy. it's awkward. Have you ever carried a cross? Have you ever put something on your back to carry? Or just, how about this? Try grabbing some groceries from Acme, Giant Eagle, wherever you shop, Walmart, and try to grab it like this. It is hard. And I think that when we 
give our life a sacrifice, total surrender, think about how heavy that cross is going to be. How difficult it's going to be for us to pick that up and to bear it for the Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as pressure comes in someone's life, in the pew, outside the pew, you know what they do? They run away from God. Would you stop running? He said this. He didn't say, pick up part of the cross and follow me. He said, pick up all of it and follow me. Listen, ministry, the life of Christ is a huge sacrifice. As a little boy, I knew, saved at 9, baptized at 13, surrendered to preach at 15. I knew that as I was in the pew, clutching onto that pew just to surrender, what that would have been like for me. Difficult. And I'm like, I can't do this, Lord. Yes, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. No, I can't. As I struggled and I struggled and I struggled. You know why? Because I saw too many men of God have to bear the cross of Christ. I'm in a meeting this past week with uh, David. He's a missionary for family life. And uh, he was telling me, I, I didn't realize this, but we, have, we go way back. He was raised in the same church that I was raised in. He knows all the same people I know. And uh, amazing. But he made a comment about a minister. And he said, did you hear that XYZ and XYZ is no longer in the pulpit and they're divorced? And I said, are you serious? That man of God? He loved God. I mean, that man could preach. I went to his church and I looked at the church and went, wow, this is amazing. It doesn't matter how big your church is. It doesn't matter how big your world is or how small it is. You have to take up the cross. We as Christians, it says, do not be conformed. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Hey, to, to leave that old life behind is difficult. And to think that this man is no longer even preaching. Because the cross got too heavy for he and his wife to bear. And so he said, I give up. And not only did he give up on God, he gave up on his wife, his daughters, and his family. And how, how sad it was for me. To think that, wow, he's given up totally. He didn't understand the sacrifice. What did Jesus Christ do when he thought of me and the sacrifice on Calvary? The reason why the people of the church, and I'm talking about the body of Christ, more than the building right now, do not have a realistic commitment is because they have forgotten the reason for their existence. Which is to do what? To save the lost. To tell people about Jesus Christ. The church is to be what? A beacon of hope. A place of refuge for the wayward. It is supposed to be the place where the world is transformed into the image and likeness of God. However, the church, instead of transforming to the world, is being conformed by the world. Why? Because they've lost their Savior. Not Savior, because... They've lost their Savior. Matthew chapter 5, if you'll look back, 
to verse 13. I know you're there in Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says this. Hello, church. Oh, it's not in there, but I just thought I'd put that in there. You are the salt of the earth. But you see, if the salt has lost its savor, if the salt has lost its flavor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. And then it says this, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot, will not, should not be hidden. When we allow the church to conform to the world, you cannot transform the world because you are now part of the world only with a different name. We were driving up Route 8 this morning. And many of you, maybe you look, maybe you don't. But this is my other home. I I appreciate, I have a passion, my wife does. We love this church. We love you. And as we were traveling up Route 8, I said, look, honey, look at the steeple between all those trees. Well, we've been here nine years, actually eight years, nine years in existence. And, And to think that a man gave us that steeple for free. Because the church is to be a beacon of hope. A place where people can say, man, it feels good to be there. How many of you walked in here today with a bad attitude? How many of you walked in here today sour? How many of you walked in here today because you've lost your savor? You've lost your flavor? Well, stop being self-centered and be God-centered. Now, I know that's not popular in a lot of churches, but this is not my church. This is his church, and we need to preach the word. I want all of us to be God-centered. We must not lose our savor. Why? Because we are the salt of the earth. Salt changes everything it comes in contact with. But the salt itself does what? It remains unchanged. We are the salt of the earth. We, the church, are to change everything that we come in contact with. The world is not to change us. But when you operate only out of tradition and you fail to develop a true commitment, you become what? Unstable and like water. Whichever the way the wind blows, you'll find yourself going that way. But when you develop a realistic commitment, you will be like the tree planted by the rivers of life. Then when the storm winds of life begin to blow, you may bend. But when it's all over, not only are you still standing, but your commitment has become even more rooted and grounded in God. And you will say with confidence, nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Here's a little illustration. If we're grounded and we're rooted, okay, as a church, as a body, when stress comes, when the cross becomes burdensome, when you cannot do it anymore, you are exhausted, you're tired, you want to give up. The storm of life hits. And that tree, which is you, you're the tree of life, and it starts to bend a little bit. You know what happens with a tree? Many times the reason why they don't fall is because as that tree continues to blow and it becomes harder and harder to stay in the ground, do you know with the storm and the water, the roots go deeper and it keeps it firm. It keeps it grounded. Why is it, Christians, that today in America we have lost our focus? The storms come and what happens? We lose our ground we lose our footing and God wants all of us 
to be separated and dedicated for Him. When I see you, I want to say, man, they're like salt. They have a good savor and flavor. Isn't it crazy some of the King James Version words that are in there? Savor. I want to show this. I want to read this to you. Salt was a spice that was added to a sacrifice. And remember that sacrifice is a total commitment. That made it something special, gave a sweet-smelling savor. Savor is the taste or smell of something, a particular flavor, smell, a distinctive quality. We as children of God should have a distinctive quality about us that is in the meaning of a peculiar people, that we are distinctive from the rest of the world. And one of the distinctive qualities that we must have is that we must be seasoned with the salt of commitment. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't use big words like this, but this is what I Googled, okay? So I just want everybody to know, and those that listen to the podcast, I want you to know that I might not even pronunciate this, pronunciate this word correctly. Season. The etymology of the word season is from the French assassiner. See, that's just too deep for me. Meaning to ripen, to give food more flavor or zest by adding season or savory ingredients to give a distinctive quality. You come to church. What is the body? The body's here for edification. The body's here to encourage one another. The body's here so that you can come together and say, man, that's a great looking tie. Man, if it wasn't for you. Oh, I did buy it. Okay. Merry Christmas. I knew that was a good looking tie. <laughs> that's my brother-in-law. And uh, praise the Lord. Well, so we look at the tie and go, that's a good looking tie. <laughs> wow. Now you really threw me off. But here's the thing. We should have a good feeling about us, right? We should come to church excited because we have Jesus Christ in our life. Patty, I'm going to illustrate you. Do it. <laughs> we're, at, we're at Bible study the other night. She goes, sometimes I just have to sit there and I just want to go, yes, yes. Then people think, wow, that person's lost their mind. But we'll go, people were at, uh, uh, what's his name at the band, uh, the rapper? Lecrae concert. I'm seeing some videos from the Lecrae concert. Yeah, I mean, people are, I mean, it's just a crazy upbeat. And if you've never heard of Lecrae, he's got, what a great outreach. Some of his rap songs are phenomenal. And, uh, but people were having fun. Fun doing what? Fun living out their Christ-like life. I love that. Oh, we can talk about the Browns all day long. We could talk about Pittsburgh Steelers all day long. But we never talk about Jesus because we're not committed. We don't. Nobody knows that you even have Christ into your, in your life. It's because you look like this. You can't look like that, man. People, people, they want to see you. Because they want to see Jesus Christ in your life. I think of a flavor. I want people to walk away and say, man, that guy blessed my life. That person blessed my life. That's what living out a Christ-like life's all about. There is pressure. Man, bearing the cross is pressure. Okay, we'll move on. 
do it again. I'm not doing it again. Luke 9.23 says this. If any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You must do what? You must deny yourself. To deny yourself is to get out of the tradition, to get out of ceremonial ritualism, to stop doing things as usual because when you continue to do the things as usual, you find yourself in that same old usual place and are unable to get what you have need of from the Lord. You guys know the story of the the lame man in Mark chapter 2. I won't go into it this morning. But in Mark chapter 2, all of them gathered together in this house And as they gathered together in this house, there was a man who was crippled. And they said, we've got to get him in there. But we can't because there were so many people there. And Jesus was healing people. And so what did they do? They went around the house. They got clear up on the roof. They put a hole. And they lowered the crippled man down in there. The layman, as the scripture says. Why did they do that? Wait a minute. That wasn't popular, was it? That wasn't popular at all. Here's what's popular. Go to Jesus. Just be committed to him. So they lowered him down and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go a different way. I know this may not seem right or popular to many, but I have to say that we're going to make sure that this man is able to walk. You see, if we want the church to grow, if we want God to manifest himself in us, We've got to get out of the traditionalism and develop a realistic commitment for and toward God. And the way we do that is to have a renewing of the mind. Romans 12.2 says this, and I quoted it last week. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The church can't be transformable until we have a renewing of the mind. Here's what it says. Renew. What does renew mean? It means to revive, to restore, to replenish, to make effect. In order for the church to be effective in the world, we must have a renewing of the mind. We must change from traditional obligation and develop a realistic commitment to God. Without a renewing, there could be no transformation for the church or the world until First, the church has a renewing of the mind. Where are you going with this, preacher? Go big or go home. Well, I've really been convicted lately. And so as I was getting dressed this morning, it all started. My daughters, Dad, what are you wearing? I get to church. What are you wearing? And all along, all throughout the service, they're like, wow. I've never seen you wear something like that before. Let me ask you something. Are we too traditional? Because when we get out of the box, which sometimes is uncomfortable, and I knew you would say something, it makes people slightly uncomfortable. If I took this pulpit and put it in the back room, what would you do? Would you freak out? Junior says, just a little. I'm not taking out the word. I'm not moving the pulpit. I'm not doing any of that. But what I will tell you is this. I want the world to see us for who we are. I want people to say, man, they love Jesus. They, you know, I want to go to church because I'm centered and surrounded around people that love God and love each other. 
Listen, quit being a Pharisee. Quit coming here and saying, well, they do that for that person, and they don't do that for me. Well, maybe there hasn't been opportunity yet for us to do something for you. We want to be there. We want to uplift you. We want to encourage you. And that's what we should do as believers. Listen, not just for the pastor. That's not just my job, right? It's everybody's job. We're all to do that. We must be the first partakers. So you ask the questions, what are you talking about here, pastor? The devil looked and saw the church was operating out of traditionalism. He saw that they were going through the routine of having church. He saw they had a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. He saw that the commitment, sincerity, and unity were no longer there. He noticed that the church had lost the fruit of the Spirit. Their love had began to wax cold. Their peace was not the peace that passeth all understanding. Their joy was not unspeakable joy and full of glory. He looked and saw they were not long-suffering anymore. They hadn't been gentle toward one another in a long time. Goodness had left the building. Temperance was replaced with a short fuse. Meekness was mistaken for weakness. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll add slothfulness among them. I'll make laziness appeal to them. Frustration I'll give them. Then I'll add a little depression for good measure. I'll put jealousy among these two. I'll cause that one to hate this one. Wrath and envy and strife. I'll put some of that in there just because I can. Why? Because they have a traditional obligation. They're going through the motion, but they're not committed to God for real. So I can just put this in there, and they will become ineffective in the world. And as a matter of fact, they will become so ineffective in the world that I can cause the world to change them, all because they have lost their savor. They have lost their flavor. They are caught up in traditional obligations. They are more worried about ritual righteousness and ceremonial cleanliness that they fail to realize who God is. So I can do my thing. I don't want a church anymore that's all about, you know, it should be done this way. We need to look at it that way. You know, what in the world is going on over there? And uh, what we do is we need a church that needs to be committed to Christ. We need a church that needs to be dedicated. When I was back as a youth pastor, I was at New Testament. We, we started with five children. When I was at Broadman, we started with three. When we were at Union Missionary, those are the only three churches that I was an associate at. We started with two. Those two turned into almost 100 youth. So what's happened? Has your cross gotten too heavy to bear? So you've left it up to somebody else to do the job? Have you said, I just can't do it anymore? You know, I want him to see that I'm taking up my cross and I'm following him, but I think it's just too much of a cost for me. I can't do it anymore. People used to come to church because Sunday was the day that was set aside for God. Sunday was the day that nothing else got in our way. We went to church and that's what we did. That was our obligation. And here we are today. We come to church because we want to. 
because of the grace of God. It's amazing. When you look out, you can go to any church. You can get whatever you want because it's just like going to a buffet. They have whatever they want for you. But here's, here's the key to, to many of the churches. Do they have passion? As I was speaking to that missionary this week, he said, you know, our church, we never got past 43 people. That same year that we closed our doors, he said, which was a couple years ago, five other churches in the area closed their doors. What has happened? Are we saying, let the big church up the street handle it? Are we saying, no, we're going to make a difference. We want people to see the flavor of God in our life. We want to get excited. We want to stand up. Patty says, and do parasols. And, and we just want people to say, yes, today I am a child of the Most High God. I'm excited. Nothing matters but Him and the cross and my relationship with Him. I am committed to the very end. People don't. They just give up. Don't give up. Give in. Let God move in your life. What He's saying is go big church. Have a right attitude towards me. And love me. Because I love you with all my heart. With all my soul. And with all my strength. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says. Fail not to assemble yourselves together. Forsake not the assembly. Coming together for encouragement, for edification. I am so encouraged on Wednesday night to, to come in and see the kids rock. Children are running around. Uh, you teachers, uh, secretary, all of you are doing your jobs. People are coming for the Bible study. It is encouraging to me as a pastor because I want people in God's word. I woke up, I was sharing with the men, I woke up this morning and I stayed awake from 1 o'clock to 4 a.m. this morning and so much stuff was going on in our head and we have a board meeting this morning and, and I'm thankful. I want to say that our board is phenomenal. You have wonderful deacons and trustees. We have a wonderful treasurer and I'm just at peace. It wasn't that. I'm not worried about anything like that. But we have just a wonderful church board who has a heart for ministry. And yet all these thoughts kept coming in my mind. And all I kept thinking is, you know, God, as I, I said here, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Is and are we at a place where God can look at us and say, yes. We have a renewed mind. David said, create in me a clean heart. Lord, revive me. Lord, replenish me. Lord, restore me. Lord, make me effective. Lord, take me back. Back to the place I was with you when I was totally committed. The day that I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The day that I stood up and wanted to go, Woo! I love the Lord. And then all of a sudden, because my cross became so heavy to bear that I only got halfway through my journey, I gave up and I said, I'm done and I don't want to do any more for the cause of Christ. Operation Christmas Child should be a reminder to all of us just about spreading the gospel. To be a relay center in Akron, Ohio is a great privilege. We would have never been able to do it had it not been for your hands, your legs, your muscles. That has made a difference. I don't want you to give up. I want you to keep on. As I close, it's time to get out of tradition. It's time to stop doing things as usual. We need to develop a real commitment for God. 
There are going to be times that we don't feel like doing something, but because of the commitment we have for God, we will do it. That's what it means to press toward the mark, as as Paul was saying. I'm committing. I am going to be committed to getting to another level. I'm committed to being the vessel God can use. But I must be committed to God and to doing His will. We need to get off of our seats of doing nothing, get out of the tradition of coming to church, and develop a realistic commitment to God. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. We are so into tradition that we know who will be at church on a Friday night, ABF, and who will not be. We so often will say, as a Pharisee would, oh, they're the faithful few. But they're truly the ones that are totally committed to doing the will of the Lord. I love living my life for God. I was out at a house this past week. Friends of ours who had had a stroke in, in Ravenna. And the caretaker was there. I owned a janitorial custodial company, so I was out there doing their carpets. I'm a bivocational pastor. And as I was out there, I always take those opportunities. I've known Irene for 20 years. She's 83 years old and ended up falling in, falling in marks here a couple months ago and had a stroke. So the caretaker was there, and I was cleaning up her carpets. And the caretaker stopped and said, so you're a pastor? I said, yes. Where is your church? I'm from Stowe. I said, oh, right next door. Right, Bob and Pam? <laughs> right in North Hill on Riverside Drive. Oh, Cool. Thanks for blessing me today. You know, all I wanted her to see is that I was there to serve. That I was there. I love Irene. I pray for her. I've witnessed for her. Her sister now has moved in. She's 80 years old, Mary Jane. They're wonderful, wonderful people. I never knew them but in the business world, and yet I know them in a personal way. How many people can say, yes, serving the Lord is hard, and taking up the cross is difficult, but... I know this is expected of me. I am so over being all about tradition. That you know what? Here's what I've learned about a pharisaical attitude. Pastor, if you did it this way, I'd be there. Well, you just lied because I did do it that way and you never showed up. Pastor, if you just had this kind of music, I'd come to your church. Well, you lied because I had that kind of music and you never showed up. Could somebody just walk up to me and say, Pastor... Can I feel the Spirit of God in your church? Do you talk about the cross? Do you talk about the blood that was shed on Calvary? That's what's important to me. It isn't about, because think about it, we've changed. Now we have comfortable padded seats, no longer wooden pews, right? So God's blessed. But if we're all about tradition, then we could go back. No, I don't want to. Because I know Jesus, he walked on this earth. And we've been going through moments with the Master on Wednesday evenings and just experiencing the life of Christ. I know that I've been convicted to be more and more committed to him than I've ever been in my life. Not on Sunday morning, not on Wednesday, but Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. God loves you. Do you know that? Have you accepted Him as Lord and Savior? And have you gotten rid of that woe is me attitude and said, okay, 
go is me. I'm going big. And, church, we're going home. We're honoring the Lord. We're obeying His commandments. We're magnifying Him. And we're, become, we're going to become effective in a world where people are dying and going to hell. That's the message of Jesus Christ. Let us all stand as we pray. And as we close this morning, may all of us be challenged in our heart to say, hey, I haven't been committed. Maybe God's been pressing on your heart about surrender. We're going to have an altar call, a time of reflection. And as we go to the Lord this morning, can I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, would you come to the saving grace? Today's your day. Surrender your life. Husband and wife, surrender your life. Serve the Lord together. Make a difference. We have a church that preaches the gospel, that exalts the Lord through song, through word and in deed. May we just celebrate. Say this with me. God is good all the time. He is awesome. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord, grateful that even when I look back in the, the years of the 70s, Lord, so many things have changed and how, much, how sad it must have been when you came to die for the Jew and for the Gentile that they were still so concerned about the law instead of grace. Jesus, you did a, a great job of representing your Father. Lord, and we failed to acknowledge you. We failed, Lord, to see that you were the Son of God. Lord, may we all be encouraged today as Christians to say, yes, I believe He is the Son of God. And I'm going to live my life dedicated, solely separated, sanctified, set apart solely for Him. Lord, thank You for Your Word this morning. And Lord, I just ask You, there are days even in my own life when the cross becomes heavy. Father, would You pick it up? Would you lighten my burden? Would you lighten my load? Would you do the same for many in this room? Lord, let them know that you're there with them, that you're on this journey. You've never left their side, for you love them. They're your child. Father, today, if somebody is here that don't know you as Lord and Savior, may they come, may this be the first step of commitment in their walk with you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.